The Leslie Marshall Show, a true democracy in talk radio. Of, for, and by you, the people. Cliff Schechter. I'm filling in once again, again today for Leslie Marshall. You are listening to the Leslie Marshall Show. Quite a weekend with the Women's March and uh, quite a reaction by uh, Mr. Trump. We're going to talk a little bit about politics today. We're going to talk about the Women's March and what that accomplished. Um, and uh, I think we can start off at this point. We should have on the line our first guest, which is Brett DeResta, who is Founder and director, president, one of those titles, of the Maccabee Group. He's been published in the New York Times, among other places, top opposition research guy on the Democratic side. And we're going to get his take on how things are going. Brett, are you with me? I am. I am. Thank you for that uh, kind introduction. Oh, I do what I can, Brett. I do what I can. Well, the great thing about um, running your own business is you can call yourself whatever you want, president, CEO, space emperor. really doesn't matter. Do you go with Space Emperor or one of the other ones? I prefer uh, President, but if you call me Space Emperor, I'll be fine with it. <laughs> you can tell we've got a top-notch production crew, so you gotta, you got to be ready for that, my friend. Um, so what do you think, buddy? Let's start off talking a little bit about, uh, I mean, there's so much. I don't know what to say. How about we start with what just happened in the past sort of couple hours with Marco Rubio announcing he's going to support Tillerson for uh, Secretary of State. Same old, same old, little Marco? Well, I, I guess now that Bill Cosby is out, Jello has their new spokesperson in Marco Rubio. <laughs> no one has Nicely played. Uh, well, I mean, it, it's unbelievable. And, and the thing that's sort of hard to contemplate is he put himself in that position. I mean, Marco Rubio, over the past year and a half, has built up this reputation as a guy who will cave uh, on his own principles at the first sight of resistance. And so yep. here he is. He finally made it back. He clawed his way back to Congress. He's going he's gonna to set himself up just in case Trump tanks as a 2020 um, person. And the first thing he does is take a stand on Tillerson, give him a tough questioning, and set Washington up for, hey, maybe Marco's going to finally stand up for himself. Maybe he's going to show some spine. And sure enough, you know, as soon as the push got a, a little hard, little Marco backs down again. And what was amazing was – it wasn't just Democrats saying it. Um, uh, Republicans, Rich Lowry, who writes for the National Review, Philip Klein, right. um, who watch, writes for the Washington Examiner, um, they were all on Twitter saying, you know, same old, same old. I, I just don't understand why he would do that to himself, knowing no, I, what his, what his uh, reputation is. Yeah, I mean, that's the thing is that, you know, I don't know if there's any star that was so bright that has dimmed so much. In the past couple of years, everybody was talking him up as sort of a dream ticket kind of guy, you know, Hispanic background from Florida, you know, charisma, good speaker. And he's been such a wimp. It started with that immigration policy he pushed and backed down. And now again and again, he's not going to run for Senate. That's not he doesn't want to be there. You don't nothing gets done. But then he runs for Senate. And of course, the biggest one being with Donald Trump, where the guy's con man and I couldn't trust him with anything. Oh, you know, except the nuclear codes and 
and, and Hillary's worse. So, I mean, you know, Ted Cruz, we expect, and I think a lot of people kind of knew he was a con man, and some of the others in the Republican Party that first stood up to him. But Marco Rubio was supposed to actually stand for something, and I could see him being a, the perfect guy where the Republicans could have broken with the Tea Party. He was originally a Tea Party guy, but broken and moved to a sort of center-right position. And I think he sort of destroyed any credibility he has, which I think you seem to – I mean, if anybody's positioned for 2020 – Right now, if Trump falters, it's John Kasich here in Ohio. You know, I mean, that's one person that, that hasn't actually, you know, fallen on the floor to bow down and give in the way Marco has and Rick Perry, the genius at the energy department, and some of these other guys. Hey, first of all, glasses do make you smarter. Um, <laughs> Clearly. I, I years ago, yeah. Um, well, especially because I wear them now, so. Uh, but, that, you know, I, I think... You're, you're right about Kasich. I think you have to look at Ben Sass. I think you have to look at Mike Lee a little bit. Those guys have at least um, kept their dignity. Um, Good point. Over the past couple of months. But, you know, you can't go out and say someone's a con man, an awful human being, and I can't trust him with anything, and then say, I'm honored to be here to support him. I mean, right. you just look like a typical politician. And, you know, Marco Rubio is what everybody hates about Washington. Um, he is. Again and again and again on this stuff, yep. Yeah, I mean, he, you know, and, and he sold himself for a while there as he was, you know, the, a neocon. I mean, that was when that was the cool thing to be. Um, and Tillerson, obviously, there's serious concerns about his relationship with Russia, which makes him one of everybody attached to Donald Trump. But he's Secretary of State and gets to go over there and meet with them, so it's a bit more worrisome. And, you know, I mean, he backs down uh, right away. I mean, it's I mean, obviously McCain and Lindsey Graham did on this one, too. But he did at least this time, it seemed to me, Rubio made his big, a big deal of standing up. He didn't just sort of ask tough questions. He leaked to the press. But I want to move on and talk about some of these other things going on. What's your take on, on Donald Trump's weekend of sort of freaking out on Twitter and, and sending out Sean Spicer, which clearly, much like cult of personality, autocratic regimes, he basically sent out his hostage to, to read, you know, the statement that, of course, it was, in, you know, what, what were the words? It was insane or crazy or, you know, for anybody to believe that there weren't as many people there or more than were at Obama's inauguration. Obviously, the Women's March, which was huge, which we're talking about in the second half hour of this show, got to him. Um, but, I mean, you know, we've seen this before. Do you think now that he's president, this perhaps hurts him more, some of these outbursts? Well, well first, let, let's let's be real and say it's good to see that Bob uh, Baghdad Bob is alive and well after all these years. <laughs> I was a little concerned about his well-being. Um, but, you know, look, the thing about the, the Spicer incident, and you'll see it tonight, is that most Americans lead busy lives. They don't pay attention to this stuff like we do. They don't watch Twitter. They don't read morning reads. So what you're saying is, unlike us, they have real lives. Is that right. your implication? Right. And so... Not everything seeps through, but this Spicer thing, I mean, the Dallas Star, the hockey team, on I think it was either Saturday night or Sunday night, had on the scoreboard um, fans in attendance, 1.5 million. Yeah, that was hilarious. And then, <laughs> you know, um, the coach of uh, the Golden State Warriors, Steve Kerr, made a comment about how he played for this team uh, for like a couple weeks, and Sean Spicer told him that he, he, he leads the team in scoring uh, with 1.5 million points or something? Yeah. Right, like 14,000 points. So it's going – it started to filter in. It's become a punchline. And there's certain things you can afford and certain things you can't afford. You can't afford to become a punchline this early. And we haven't even seen what Jimmy Kimmel and, you know, 
um, what what uh, all the late night talk show uh, Seth Meyers and uh, Jimmy. That's right. Fallon. They're all they're all going to have their first shot at it tonight, aren't they? Yeah, Samantha B. I mean, they're all going to take it and just run with it. And you know, credibility is a hard thing to get back once you lose it. And yeah, to, for that to happen in the first press conference day one to take your credibility and set it on fire. Uh, yeah, I do think it has a long-range effect. I don't think it'll, you know, affect the hardcore Trump supporters because nothing permeates their reality, but or unreality, but yes. I think for most people when you become a joke that early, it's a bad sign. And uh, you know, they no. they have uh, I think it was like 1450 days left uh, before the next election. You know, that's God help us. 50 days of, of deflecting comments about, you know, crowd size and jokes and all that sort of stuff. Well, this is what, yeah, I mean, this is what I always thought was going to be trouble for him. I mean, when he snuck in the way he did, obviously I thought he'd lose by a couple million votes, which he did, but found his way in anyhow. But again, you keep doing this, you bring up a, a really good point for anybody who pays attention to, to politics and political history. I mean, even recent, very well, recent for guys like you and me, you know, before some of the kids were born. But I think of Dan Quayle and Potato. Um, more recently, you know, you've got you had Sarah Palin, who kind of made the I can see Russia from my house became a big joke. I mean, really, even in 2004, that's some of what the Bush people successfully did with John Kerry, which with the windsurfing and I voted for it before I voted against it. I mean, they made him kind of a, a mockery of him. And. You know, the Internet, I invented the Internet with Al Gore. There does seem to be, one. you know, when you start being made fun of and you have a, a penchant for reinforcing the, the what people are making fun of you for, which is if Trump's not that, he's not anything, it, it becomes, uh, you know, it becomes a dangerous situation for you. So I, I couldn't agree more that, you know, to me, I would, I, I'm interested in your take, but I would say um, – the way to do this with him is clearly a new, an article came out, I guess, in the New York Times say when in Politico that he was paying attention to this stuff this weekend and, you know, that it was freaky. He was getting him upset. He couldn't concentrate on work of the government, um, which is hilarious and, you know, kind of terrifying. But I want to talk to you more about that, Brett. We have to go to a break right now. So we're heading in that direction. But when we come back, we've got Brett DiResta of the Maccabee Group. We're going to talk a little bit more about Donald Trump's uh, Twitter insanity. Leslie Marshall, the simple truth in a complicated world. Give her a call now at 888-6-LESLIE. This was the first time in our nation's history that floor coverings have been used to protect the grass in the mall. That had the effect of highlighting any areas where people were not standing. While in years past, the grass eliminated this visual. And we're back. This is Cliff Schechter. This is the Leslie Marshall Show. I'm filling in today. I'll be here for about another 40 minutes. Right now we're talking to Brett DeResta. Great, uh, brilliant political consultant, if I say so. I uh, have worked with him in the past. Please do. Uh, he, Please is, do. <laughs> he is of the Maccabee Group. You want research? He's your dude. So, uh, Sean Spicer there, uh, yeah, 
What did you think about? I mean, you know, again, I think I said it earlier. It's almost you feel like you felt like, uh, and the same thing with Reince Priebus the next morning on was it Chris Wallace's show where they both were just getting beaten up over this. It's like you know they've been sent out and they've just completely traded their dignity for power because they know they're lying. They know they're going to get ripped for it, and they're still completely willing to do it. Well, of all people, Greg Popovich, the coach of the San Antonio Spurs, has been doing yep. these soliloquies after. Um, after games now, rather than answering reporters' questions. And uh, he had something the other day where he said, as bad as Trump is, he feels that Priebus, um, Kellyanne Conway, and Spicer are worse because they know what the truth is, and they're purposely lying about it. They just don't have the guts to say, you know, we can't say this. This is wrong. They do everything they can to obscure, obfuscate, whatever they can do um, so that they don't have to say, you know, what the truth is. And it's a... it is yeah. Yeah. And I think, I mean, I, I think I agree with him on that. I mean, I, um, I've never had the pleasure with Mr. Spicer or Priebus, not that I wanted to, but I do know Kellyanne Conway a bit. I used to actually debate her on certain, I think MSNBC once or twice, Fox once or twice, if I remember correctly. And so I know, I mean, I thought she was somebody of conservative principles who actually, you know, I mean, that always is a mixed bag whether they believe all of it or just some of it. But I thought basically she believed in what she was saying. And, of course, you know, a year beforehand, she's attacking uh, Trump when she works with with, uh, Cruz. But for a nice payday from the Mercers, you know, the supporters of the Super PAC and all that, to be, you know, she cozied up in the end uh, to Trump. And, you know, she. I'm sorry, I can't believe these people don't look at this person who, in these articles, people are leaking the fact that they have to try to not allow him to watch TV to keep his behavior in control. I mean, he clearly has some... That's thing we do with my children, which is, right. which is fascinating. Right. He's got some form of mental illness, I'm convinced of. I can't say this as a professional. I can't say this as a psychologist, which I'm not. But... Go, everybody, Google narcissistic personality disorder. Look up what defines that. See if anything looks familiar to you. I mean, he he can't stop himself on a day when he should be saying, I'm president, I control the country, here's what I'm going to do, the five things I'm going to, you know, prioritize. And he gets into a fight over, you know, he has Sean Spicer coming out and gets into a fight over whether the magnometers kept people out and whether there really were like 1.5 million people hiding, I suppose, near the bathroom exits or something at the back of the mall. I mean, uh, it's ridiculous. Um, and, uh, you know, hopefully we won't all pay a huge price for it, but, um, what do you think, um, do you, you know, with the story coming out now about Russia, we've got a lot more information. I mean, the New York times poo-pooed it way back when they're looking pretty stupid right about now. Um, do you, do you see that being the sort of the thing that potentially brings these guys down? You know, it's really hard to say, you know, without seeing what the evidence is and what the evidence isn't. Um, I think it's disappointing that you saw how much they they spent talking about Hillary's emails and Comey talked about the possibility of other emails existing on Anthony Weiner's computer, but nothing about um, investigating the ties between um, the Trump campaign and Russia. I think as Democrats, that that is tremendously disappointing, and you know it's not a it's not a Republican column without some kind of crying about how mean and nasty the mainstream media is to Republicans. Meanwhile, any fair-minded person looking at this election realizes that Hillary Clinton got the short end of the stick when it comes to press coverage. But right. It, I mean, and there's studies the, that show that pretty clearly, by the right. way, negative versus positive coverage. The only thing you can judge him on is what he's done so far. And when you look at the people he's put up 
for his cabinet, or as I like to call him, <laughs> the, the, the Moss Eisley cabinet. Um, nice. Nicely played. Villainy. Um, I mean, there, there is none, of course, no. You, you look at these people, and, you know, Mulvaney is now in trouble because he didn't pay taxes. Um, Mnookin accidentally forgot $95 million in assets. Uh, on but he but he did foreclose on a woman for underpaying by twenty seven cents by accident. An elderly woman, he only forgot ninety five million. So you know, similar. There, there's rumors. There's there's been explanations that that story might not be true, and I would urge our side to just talk about how he's foreclosed instead of that one case. Well, if that's not true, then let me go. I didn't see. I'd never seen that, but I will take your word and say word for it, and just say okay. In general. He foreclosed on lots of people, probably for missing a few thousand dollars here or yeah, there, absolutely. missing. And this is—he forgot to put down ninety-five million. But you know, what's ninety-five million among friends? <laughs> and then you have Tom Price, whose Stock Act—it uh, looks like he's in violation of the Stock Act. And again, because there's so much that goes on with Trump, it's hard to focus on these things. But you know, when it first came out that Price had this problem where he um, took uh, stock in a company and then uh, put out. Uh, a letter on their behalf, the Trump response from the White House was, well, it was his broker, not him. And then under oath, he said, no, I actually got advice from someone uh, on the floor, another congressman, Chris Collins, and that's why I bought it. So he contradicted already the, the first excuse they made for him. So, it, right. you know, And that doesn't even take into account people like Ben Carson. I mean, here's a person who actually said, I am not qualified to be cabinet member. <laughs> and the Trump people said, oh, great. How'd you like to be head of HUD? Right. Know, it, it, it's astonishing. You know, that's and then you even look at people who maybe have been semi-competent in what they've done. I'm not sure. I haven't looked closely at the record. But maybe as a governor, Nikki Haley has been semi-competent. I don't know. Yeah. Um, but you make her, you know, you, you want to put her uh, as the ambassador to the U.N. when she has no foreign policy experience whatsoever. I mean, it's almost like they took people – in some cases, like you could make an argument for Ben Carson, you know, uh, at HHS, and you could make an argument for Nikki Haley, maybe in some other place too. But they took people that maybe you could make an argument for somewhere else that had some connection and put them somewhere completely random, or if you will have a more evil view of it. I hear the, I think Trump hears the word urban and thinks, you know, certain somebody. Okay, well, it looks like we've got to go, Brett. But thank you so much for being with us today. We'll bring you back again in the future. Again, that was Brett DeRest of the Maccabee Group. And uh, we'll be right back after these messages. everybody. Once again, this is Cliff Schechter. I am guest hosting today for Leslie Marshall. And yes, you are listening to the Leslie Marshall Show. I hope you all enjoyed our talk with Brett DiResta in the past uh, half hour on the, on the flip side, if you will. We've got another great guest. Uh, I hope some of you are out there uh, among the over three million uh, at protests this past weekend at women's marches all over the world, quite frankly. Uh, I'm lucky enough to have with me here a good friend and who's one of the leaders and speakers of the march here in Cincinnati, which was a huge success, Kathy Brinkman, who's also a former chair of Planned Parenthood of Southwest Ohio and uh, currently still sits on that board. Kathy, are you with me? I am with you, Cliff. Thank you for inviting me to be with you today. 
after uh, what you put together the other day, I, I think uh, I should be thanking you. Well, you know, I cannot take credit for organizing the wonderful sister march that took place in Cincinnati concurrent with the march in Washington and 657 other cities in the United States and around the world. The organizers of this march were actually first-time activists, um, Jessica Holliday, Billy Mays, and Kate Galleon, um, and they did a wonderful job of assembling uh, the rally so that we could be in solidarity with women and men all around the country. Yeah, well, I mean, they did a phenomenal job, and I'm, I'm glad you gave you shared their names because they should get credit. You, of course, were one of the, the, few, the one of the speakers up there, and were hugely inspirational. What you've done in the city here, and what you've done on uh, women's equality, and, and the right to birth control and abortion rights, and um, so coming out of this, you know, what did we get in the end? We got, would we get about 12,000 people, 10,000, somewhere in that range? The estimates were between ten and 12,000 based on the size of crowds that had previously gathered for other events in Washington Park in Cincinnati. Which is great. I mean, again, you know, you, you see things about 400,000 in New York, which is amazing, or whatever it was, but people have to remember how much bigger New York is for a city our size um, and one that had a history of, of being somewhat more conservative. It was amazing. Um, it was so coming at it. The crowd was so diverse, uh, all colors, all ages. Um, there were kids there with their parents, father, fathers bringing their little girls because they were worried about the future of their daughters. It was a very, very energizing and uplifting. Yeah, my wife and I were there. We brought our two little boys. We figured they should know what peaceful protest is like in this country, what our tradition is like. And uh, I'm sure they've heard Mommy and Daddy talk a little bit too much about the guy who's, who's now president. So... They, they know what they need to know, and then some. Um, but um, first, before we get to, to some of the more about about uh, Planned Parenthood and what's going on in Washington and in Columbus, in our capital here, just from that march, did you do you feel like uh, maybe we we turned a corner of sorts that we may be able to activate more people? I worry also about getting people out to vote in the off year election in eighteen, especially even in seventeen. We've got some pretty important elections in Ohio and around the country. What do we do to kind of get keep this momentum going? Well, what I encourage people to do who attended the rally and have told anyone else who asks me, how can I be involved to support women's rights, we productive rights, and human rights in general, is look to social media. It was social media that really allowed that rally and march in Cincinnati to be pulled together on relatively short notice, and I encouraged everybody who was there to go to the website, not only for Planned Parenthood Southwest Ohio, PPSWO.org, as I chanted, (laughs) but to the National Planned Parenthood website, especially PPAF, which is the Planned Parenthood Action Fund, and that's where all of the advocacy and electoral politics contacting and taking action with respect to, especially now, the Republicans in Congress who have promised to defund Planned Parenthood. I think a lot of the participants in the Women's March here and across the country will be doing just that, getting their clues from these activist websites. And, and, and you bring up a great point. I think that that's why it's so important, that so, and we broke records and so many people turned out. I saw estimates 1% of the U.S. population which is kind of amazing. amazing. 
Uh, it really is. And it's important because we, we, you know, it's important in terms of how it gets Donald Trump off his game, which we just had a half hour conversation about anything that throws him off so that he can't, you know, concentrate on the nasty business that it is of his governing is probably good for us. But also members of Congress, because we know that at this point, there's at least two Democrats, uh, I mean, sorry, two Republicans who claim to be pro-choice, Susan Collins and Lisa Murkowski. Right. Both senators. There's others who have claimed that Planned Parenthood do, does some good, including Donald Trump himself in the past, um, even if they're not pro-choice. And the the bigger worry to me, anyhow, is a couple of these Democrat Democrats who may become renegades. I worry about someone like Joe Manchin in West in, in West Virginia, and others who are coming up for election in the midterm. So we need to stay tough on this because again, this could be a very close vote, and we could we could theoretically stop them from defunding Planned Parenthood. Well, absolutely. And I think that um, if you look at reliable national polls, voters say to the tune of more than 60% that they do not want Planned Parenthood defunded. And that's because they recognize that the non-abortion services that Planned Parenthood provides in so many communities where men and women have nowhere else to go for birth control, testing and treatment of sexually transmitted infections, well-woman examinations. Planned Parenthood is an essential health care provider. And if you defund, if you cut off their reimbursement through federal programs, many, many people, especially those who can afford it least, will be cut off from essential health services. Right. And I know they've passed, you know, they've talked in both Columbus and Washington about this fiction of, you know, what is it, local health centers? Is that what they what they say? What are these, who, who do they claim will make up for Planned Parenthood yeah. that will not? We, we went through this in Ohio when the Ohio General Assembly passed legislation to cut off funds to Planned Parenthood for non-abortion services. And when the state General Assembly elected officials make the art made the argument that there were other health care providers who would step in and there would be no loss of services and no interruption of services to Planned Parenthood's patients. The sources that they cited for those services were shown to be unavailable to the women that Planned Parenthood serves. About half the patients that Planned Parenthood serves here in Southwest Ohio, for example, are covered by Medicare to get the services for birth control and other preventive cancer screenings and well-woman mm-hmm. prevention services. And if Planned Parenthood is disqualified as a Medicaid provider, there will not be government health departments or federally qualified health centers to which they can go. They simply cannot absorb our patients in the numbers who will no longer have Medicaid coverage. And remember, Medicaid is reimbursement for actual medical services that are provided. This is not a grant. This is not a gift to Planned Parenthood. It's a reimbursement of Planned Parenthood, just like any other medical provider, for services that are vital that are provided to the patients. Right. So, I mean, just to be clear, I mean, and I think that was very clear, but this, folks, is what you call fake news. Um, (laughs) There's lots of that going around, and what's been going around on Planned Parenthood, the attacks on Planned Parenthood, have been fake news for a while because they make this claim that that people can go to alternative sites, uh, as, as Kathy was talking about, other health centers, they cannot take in the numbers of people that will lose service uh, if Planned Parenthood is defunded. It will not happen. Right. 
in many counties and many cities, there are greatly underfunded health departments to start with. Number two, they do not cover the range of services that patients get at Planned Parenthood. Number three, there are long waiting lines. You have to get on a list and wait for an appointment to open up so that you can get birth control. And, you know, Planned Parenthood does not have those restrictions and can give the services immediately, even for emergency contraception, which is very difficult to get through other sources. The health departments in southwest Ohio said when the state was defunding that they would not be able to absorb Planned Parenthood's patients. So, yeah, I mean, clearly what this comes down to is, again, folks, you're being sold a myth. And what Kathy is saying is so important for people to know, which is, we need to stand up to them here where they're, you know, in Ohio, but across the country, state legislatures, and then, of course, the folks in Washington, um, you know, know the truth and go out and fight for it. So many people did here, I mean, as you pointed out, around the country, around the world. I mean, places like Sydney and, uh, and all over Europe, and I heard there was, there was one in Nairobi, and, I mean, it was incredible how many people came together to make themselves heard. Um, we are going to go to a short break, Kathy and everyone listening, and then we're going to come back. We're going to talk more about the Women's March and women's rights, where we see this going in the future and how you can all fight back. Thanks for listening. We'll be right back. Welcome back, folks. This is Cliff Schechter. I'm sitting in today for Leslie Marshall. You're listening to the Leslie Marshall Show. Coming down to our last 10 or 12 uh, minutes here. I'm talking to Kathy Brinkman right now, who is uh, a, a speaker, um, a leader in the Women's March here in Cincinnati. Uh, she's also been active for a long time in Planned Parenthood of Southwest Ohio and overall Ohio, um, and a big inspiration to me. So, uh, Kathy, are you here? I am here. All right. The phone lines are still working. I guess the NSA hasn't really gotten started yet, huh? Yeah. The Russians um, have not been hacking into our uh, connection, huh? <laughs> <laughs> that's helpful. Although, who knows? With, who knows? Soon enough, with true. Flynn being uh, – well, you know what? Let's actually talk a little bit about that quickly. Just in general, you know, I, I mean, I start feeling like I have you on here. Um, but, uh, you know, as, as uh, someone who's obviously very involved in politics, I want to know your general – feelings on the, the current uh, over the orange overlord that we have and his behavior of the past few days. Do you have any, any uh, thoughts on where we're all headed in terms of our well, uncharted territory? I am using the, uh, the Women's March and all the sister marches to lift myself out of the depression that I was in uh, starting on Election Day. So, uh, you know, what I am really concerned about is not only – uh, the president's behavior, but the behavior of his closest advisors, their uh, denial of science, their disregarding of facts, that's, that is very troubling to me as a starting point, because beyond that, how can you talk about any issues with any rationality and with any goal of uh, doing what's best for the, all the people in this country? It's, uh, it's very discouraging, and I, it, it's very concerning. Yeah, I mean, you know, the whole uh, principle of democracy is based on, you know, post-enlightenment that we can all agree on facts and then we can sort of disagree how to solve certain problems. The problem, right. the, the issue and, for and us. I, and I wish, yep. I, you know, the media is starting to do this more, which I think is 
a very positive sign. Um, they're not being uh, they're not being so kind in how they characterize what are outright lies. And people like Chuck Todd and others are finally getting ready to go beyond uh, exaggeration to falsehoods. So now outright calling them lies because that's what they are. Well, yeah, and I do too, um, and I'm sure a lot of people we know hopefully do in the media uh, on the left. You're right, though, getting people kind of in the quote-unquote mainstream media to do it is tough. So I was really – I was heartened, and again, I'm a longtime skeptic and critic of much of our media. I was heartened when both the New York Times and the Washington Post used the words falsehoods. Yes, I'd use lies, but at least it's yeah. something in in yeah, their headlines. Part of what it is, yes. Exactly. And CNN didn't even show Spicer live, uh, you know, his his ridiculous briefing. They showed it later where they, they, they were able to show parts of it. Uh, and point out that he was being dishonest. Heck, even USA Today pointed out that it was that there were falsehoods. So again, I, I'm still skeptical. Uh, you know, I, Spicer today, I refused to watch him, but heard he was trying to make up and be nicer. And I'm sure they'll, you'll have a bunch of fawning media figures saying, "See, he's trying to be nice now," as they do. But overall, when these guys lie, it's so important because, as you know, there's been a 40, 50 year project on this front where. These guys, they can't tell the truth about what they actually stand for because most people don't believe in it. So they try. So they say, no, we're for solving health care, too. We, we believe nobody should be without health care, which is flat out not true. At least Ron Paul was honest and said, nope, if you, if you crash your motorcycle, that's freedom. You have to lie there and die. Um, you know, that was, that was what he did when it comes to certain groups, Susan B. Anthony and these right-wing nutty anti-women groups claiming that, that you know, birth control – that more birth control leads to more abortions. Well, you know, we know that that's the not just untrue, but the exact opposite of the truth. We know that more guns doesn't lead to fewer shootings. It leads to more. We know climate change is, is in fact, real science and supported by about 98 out of every 100 scientists, if not more. So these are the kinds of things where the Republican Party progressively for 40 years, you know, has just realized that they can't sell the truth. So they just pretend they're actually for things. Uh, and then behind the scenes, you know, they're lying. And well, one thing that was hopeful yeah. about the Women's March is that it was a group of idealists who do not accept the message of Donald Trump and his followers that everything is rigged against the people who want the best for this country. So at the march, you saw not just Planned Parenthood, but rape crisis centers and Black Lives Matter and the labor movement and supporters of LGBTQ rights and the Islamic Center of Greater Cincinnati talking about hate crimes against not only Muslims, but against Jews, which we've seen an uptick in Southwest Ohio. People talking yeah. about health care and poverty. The people who were in the march, men and women, do not accept that they cannot affect the system because it's rigged. And, in fact, they've started going to the town halls and the coffees that our congressmen here in southwest Ohio have and speaking out, providing facts, and pushing back against just the accepted wisdom that the Trump ideals are going to be enacted without question and without pushback. That's one of the hopeful things that I took out of this march because the activism has already started well before the march. It was bolstered by the march, and now it'll continue. Yeah. I, you know what? I, I, what you just said is so important, and for people listening all around the country, what, you know, um, what, what Kathy was just saying about what's going on here in southwest Ohio, I mean, it's happened in some other places. We have a, a, you know, our congressman here is a right-winger, Brad Winstrup, or where I am, People showed up at one of his events and asked very honest, 
but very serious, you know, questions really put it to him. And it put him in an uncomfortable position where he had to try to defend some of this. In Colorado, their, their, their congressman, Michael Kaufman, snuck out the back way um, because he was so – so I've heard from plenty of people in Congress and state legislatures. Um, I I've, I've, have worked on many campaigns, but I've never actually worked in a state legislature or Congress. And I've heard from those that do or have that bodies and phone calls are what make the difference. You know, emails are good. Facebook posts are nice. And certainly if Facebook posts, I do, you know, get people galvanized. That's great if it, for organizing, but really for pressuring these guys, for making them feel the pressure and know that you're watching them. There's nothing like showing up to their office or turning out in big numbers for a protest or calling them nonstop. And so I think what, what's happened here, what, what I just talked about in Colorado and, and all over the country People, you have to understand, we can stop this. Remember where they were going to gut the ethics office, the, the, the House of Representatives, when they first were coming in? They were going to do this late-at-night vote, um, and they backed off because there was so much protest. It's, it, they, they can be stopped, um, and I think that that's incredibly important. So your prescription from here on in, Kathy, is a lot more of this kind of activity? Absolutely, and the organizers of the march in Cincinnati have pledged that there will be other marches, there will be other rallies. They're out rallying today in the rain in Cincinnati because of uh, Nazi and hate graffiti that occurred at one of our public high schools over the weekend. Um, yeah. we will not right down the road from me here, actually. And, you know, we will not be discouraged from taking action, and we will work together. When, when Brad Winstrup was confronted at that meeting, it was older people talking about Social Security being tinkered with. It was people who get the benefits of the Affordable Care Act who don't want it reversed, repealed. Yeah. And it was people talking about women's services who don't want that defunded. So we're in this together. No, that that couldn't be more true. I'll say quickly about what you brought up. Yeah, that, that public high school is right down the road from me. And going by there today, driving by there, was incredibly heartened to see so many public figures and really just everyday people out there, you know, sort of following up on Saturday because we, we can't have it be a one-time thing and not show up. And, and the way the Women's March was so important for everybody, we need to show up for every group, as you, all the various groups you were just talking about, because there are so many people who are threatened and, and more vulnerable because of who we have in office and the sort of gerrymandered control of the House, you know, and so many Republican governors after the money dumped in in 2010 and uh, after Citizens United. And so these are all... You know, the, the, every, anything you do plays a hugely important role. And so, again, like here in southwest Ohio, but I want to see this continue across the country. And, um, and, I, and I, I, I'm really feeling, I think a lot of us are really excited after what happened the other day. Um, well, we can, one thing that all states will be working on that don't already have it is nonpartisan redistricting after the next census. Because until we do that, the right-wing control of the legislatures that is so present in so many states will not be changed. No, that's true, and that's what's given them an advantage. People forget um, in states like Ohio, people say, how come that wasn't a swing state this time? And there are various reasons for it, but certainly one of them is having a Republican secretary of state who purged votes. We don't know how many people lost their right to vote because of it. Um, listen, we're, we're coming to the end here, Kathy. I want to thank you so much for joining me. It's great talking with you. That was Kathy Brinkman, everybody. She was a leader of our march here, a speaker and on the board of Planned Parenthood of Southwest Ohio and so many other great organizations here. Thank you all for listening today. And uh, this is Cliff. I'm out. <laughs>